Osiris. Look at how amazing you are. Like you're doing your own podcast. What's up? There's no choir and no instruments. So everyone, all 500 voices, whether you can sing in your mind or you can't sing in your mind, you sing because if you don't, you're going to hell because that's the way it is. You have to lift your voice unto God according to the Bible. And so, because I didn't want to go to hell, I sang really, really loud. My mother was a hillbilly singer from Charleston, West Virginia. And my daddy, he played upright bass in the prison band where he was doing time for running moonshine for the mob. Needless to say, we were the most uncool teenagers of all time. Oh, I mean, we were uncool. I feel like I'm going to start crying just because it's just, oh. It's a lot to me. To I mean, it means everything. I don't know if you heard that funny story about me interviewing Sting. I went into his dressing room to do the interview and all the lights were off and I can't see anything. There's only a few candles. He wants to do the interview while he's sitting there doing his yoga stuff. And I literally like pretended and hoped and prayed that I hit the record button. And we did this great 45 minute interview or whatever. And I left and I was just petrified that I didn't hit the record button because I couldn't see anything. And well, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, you know, it recorded. You have to learn how to carry a crown before you can wear one. That has always stuck with me. I'm like, oh. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome to this very special compilation episode of Salute the Songbird, where I've selected some of my favorite quotes from the 39 episodes we have released thus far. It's so incredible to hear how all these women have shared experiences that transcend genre, age, level of establishment, you name it. I hatched this idea of hosting a podcast during the beginning of the pandemic when I felt most isolated, and I didn't know where it would all lead, but this work became so important and enjoyable for me that there was no way I was going to abandon it after season one. I felt such a kinship with all of my guests over the last two seasons, and I've learned from them and felt connected to them in a time when physically being together was a very big challenge. But like this podcast, where does one even begin executing a big idea? How do you jump off the proverbial cliff and just go for it? The philosophy I try to live by is ask forgiveness, not permission. And so many of my guests have answered their calling to music with that same spirit. Some had a light bulb moment. Some knew it was in their bones and inevitable, but we're just waiting for that push. Now, we all know how fickle the music industry is. Just listen to Grammy-winning singer-songwriter Natalie Hemby sum up the mentality of the industry in this quote her friend, veteran studio musician Tony Harrell, once shared with her. A lot of people in town know this little saying, but for those who don't, they say... <laughs> There's four stages of her artist career. Who is Natalie Hemby? And then it's get me Natalie Hemby. <laughs> and then it's get me a young Natalie Hemby. And then it's who is Natalie Hemby? 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it sounds pretty bleak, but we laugh about it because it's an absurdity that we all acknowledge and yet disregard because it's our vocation. Regardless of what dream you possess, there will always be a jumping off point that feels like a free fall or that moment when that seed germinated, never to be uprooted. Let's listen to some women describe what that moment looked like for them. Jeannie Seely. My first car was an MGA Roadster. I buried it in a snowdrift on Easter Sunday morning, and that was when I made my decision. It's like, I want to live somewhere else where this doesn't happen. So I started kind of thinking what I wanted to do, and I'd seen Southern California on TV. It looked pretty cool to me. Nancy Wilson of Heart. We saw the Beatles appear mm. on that Ed Sullivan show that's like the lunar landing, you know, when you talk right. about today. From that moment forward, it was like, must have guitar, right. yeah. must create music. I started early and then I kept with it. And luckily it didn't all go to hell in a handbasket anytime. You know, it wavered a few times and then it sort of came back. And, you know, but you kind of roll with it. That's all I know how to do. Nicole Atkins. I grew up in Neptune, which is right next to Asbury. So growing up there, like music was just part of the culture. Like every restaurant and bar always had music in it. So I think, you know, when people are like, oh, did your parents support you becoming a musician? You know, like, of course they did, because it's a job. You know, whether you become the next Bruce Springsteen or you just have like your weekly gig at the bar, that's mm -hmm. a living. So they were for it. Leslie Fram, Senior Vice President of CMT and founder of Change the Conversation. High school, I was working at WABF and that just sort of changed my whole world because I thought I wanted to be a journalist. So we started, you know, through the drama department. We had a little, a little show on the weekends at this local radio station. And I was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So I got the radio bug. So that, you know, radio is my first love. Kelly McCartney of Record Bin Radio on Apple Music. You know, it's one of those things. I grew up in Louisiana, rural Louisiana, not New Orleans or anything like that. And, you know, there's a Maya Angelou quote, music was my refuge. I could turn my back to the loneliness and, you know, curl up between the notes. That's paraphrasing wildly. But that was it for me. Like, I knew I was an outsider in my community, even in my family. I knew I was an outsider. I didn't have the language to understand what kind of outsider. So I hid in music. Or maybe I didn't hide. Maybe I found myself. My first guest on Salute the Songbird, Ruby Amanfu. I've always wanted to be a songwriter. And to be really honest with you, I thought I was a songwriter at five years old. It was just something I was writing songs no matter what. Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's talking about the first time she saw Susie Quattro on TV. I'd never seen a woman playing an instrument, fronting a band, leading a band, in the band, being a rock star. I'd never seen that. And that was when everything just kind of came together and that was all I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it with girls. I wanted to find girls who wanted to do it as much as I did. I've sat across the table from so many aspiring artists who asked me questions that I'm sure all of my guests have been on the receiving end of as well. 
how do I get my start in the music industry? I don't know anyone in the industry. How the hell do I break in and find people I can trust? How can I even trust myself? Well, I hope that some of the quotes you just heard demystify that process of committing to a crazy dream a little bit. It turns out that none of us really knew what the hell we were doing, but we all had one thing in common from the very start. Belief in ourselves, or at least belief in our potential to create something great. That's not to say that many of us didn't have a rocky start or our fair share of deterrence as we got things going. Take it from the queen, Jen Hartswick, as she talks about her early career. The label was a joke. They only want people who look and sound like something that's been successful before. No right. one's willing to like take a chance on anybody. And so you have to do it yourself. Like No one's going to do it for you. Be unapologetically who you are. Don't look at other people for how they did it. It doesn't matter. You have to do it how you feel. Trust your gut and just fucking do it. And if you fall on your face, cool, get up and do it again. Or Gillette Johnson on her state of mind before working with legendary producer Dave Cobb. I walked off the plane in Nashville and I was like, I have no idea if I believe in myself, if I can stand up on my own. I wrote all these songs by myself because that's what I do, but... I don't know if I can even sing anymore. Like after living in LA, it was so dry. Like my voice had been cut in half and I was just so scared and so intimidated by Dave because I met Dave once in person, talked to him once on the phone and that was it. Or bluegrass sensation, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, Sierra Hall. The doubt can kind of creep in and it doesn't matter how good or how hard you've worked to become it. There's still always that thing of like kind of thinking, well, but I don't know, maybe I'm not good enough to do this or maybe I'm not capable of this or all those things, which is just kind of silly. We're oftentimes the ones holding ourselves back or putting ourselves in boxes that no one else is putting us in. We just like think we're supposed to be in this box. And so sometimes, yeah, just a small word of encouragement like that can kind of open the floodgates of like the freedom that comes with just kind of being like, okay. <laughs> Maybe I can do this, you know. Shannon McNally. Being yourself is revolutionary. Obviously, through the history of the world, it's been harder for women. And some of that we do ourselves, and a lot of that is just imposed on us by so many other things. And there's keeping the peace, and there's being able to tuck your pride in and get done what you got to get done. It's all opening up and changing some of it will be good and some of it won't be good. There's things that we're going to miss about the 20th century. Martina McBride. You have to have a belief in yourself. You know, one thing I think everybody has in common that gets to the level, you know, of performing that we, we are at, where we're actually making music and making records and performing live is somewhere inside you, you believed you could do it, right? And you yes. saw yourself as beyond, beyond the local bar singing five nights a week. And I think that that's so critical and, you know, what this podcast is about and how we don't have to beat a dead horse about the challenges that we face as women in this industry. Right. <laughs> but, you know, that's a lot. You have to have a lot of strength and belief in yourself to do this. And when you find Absolutely. an opportunity like that, you're right. It does take you being able to go, I can do that. You know, I can make the most of that opportunity. So believe in yourself already. God, it's that simple, right? I'm kidding, of course. There are so many forces other than our own self-doubt that we have to contend with within the industry that have made it a lot harder for some of us to succeed. 
Let's continue with Martina McBride as she talks about how the inequity of women on country radio could detrimentally affect the future of country music, on how that could have affected her passion for music as a young girl in Kansas if she hadn't had all the female inspirations to look up to like she had growing up. Take it away, Martina. The ripple effect from that is what kills me. Like, why I really am angry, part of it is obviously because female artists deserve to be played, but also there's the ripple effect when you think about the fact how that affects the little girl in Kansas who is listening to the radio and all she hears are 15 songs in a row by men objectifying women. It's like, how does she see herself? She doesn't see herself as being the next Tammy Wynette or Faith Hill or whatever. We used to be able to coexist, Faith and Winona and Jody Messina and me. And we all used to be able to coexist with Erasmus Flats and Alan Jackson. And like the Sonicscape was similar, right? So you could play a Concrete Angel on the radio and not be like, what is that? After 15 songs that are current now, right? So it wasn't shock. It wasn't like jarring. It was like everything kind of meshed together. And somewhere along the line, and I, I have to say, you know, I think it's comes down to songwriters, producers, all of them. <laughs> There's a little bit of responsibility with everybody. I know it's lucrative, but shoot, you know, it's like everybody has a little bit of a hand in the game when it comes to why are we here? So speaking of responsibility and having a hand in the game, here are some songbirds who are using their hands, their feet, their big voices to make this playing field a little more even for all kinds of talent from all kinds of backgrounds. Here's what Yola might say to a promoter who has a festival lineup that's a little too light on women of color. That is if they have any women of color other than Yola to begin with. Yola? Cool, so you want me, right? Interesting, cool, cool, interesting. Knock yourself out, but how about you get three other black women and then we can talk. Rebecca Lovell of Larkin Poe talks about the positive reinforcement she feels from simply being on a bill that's more balanced. It's refreshing and I find it endlessly inspiring when we show up on festival bills and there is other women that are out there doing the thing. And when you show up at the Bonneries and the Glastonbury's and there's chick-fronted rock bands, it's like, yes, it's about goddamn time. Like, right. thank goodness. But I, we certainly can't take credit because I do think it's it's the droplets that make up the wave. Yep. Death by a million paper cuts. Power in numbers. This year has been an exceptional time to have these conversations with all these women because the compulsion to speak out against these inequities is stronger now, I believe, than ever. Let's get some takes from a few of my guests on why they feel it's important to use their platform. Kaylee Shore. I think that representation is really important and seeing artists who share the same perspectives as you and have gone through the same things as you, like that's very important for like a young girl who is really into Black Lives Matter for her to see an artist who goes to the protest. Like that's important. So she can be like, oh, country music can be for me too. And that's like a way smaller thing. But on a much larger scale, you have Mickey Guyton being like, yeah, you can be a country singer if you're Black. Why would anybody think anything different? Now, 
It's not the responsibility of the oppressed to right the ways of the world in which they have been hindered. But a lot of people who have been disadvantaged by the slow-to-evolve industry have been stepping up to the plate nonetheless. Here we listen to Mickey Guyton as she talks about her fatigue in feeling the constant burden of bearing the torch on these matters. But she's been extremely visible in her fight to celebrate and normalize her role as a black woman in a genre that sadly has not traditionally celebrated black women or people of color in that space. Well, I hope that I don't have to continuously fall on the sword in speaking out on this. Not only is it difficult for women of color, it's difficult for women, period. (laughs) White women. Being in this industry, you now know what it feels like to truly be discriminated against. You experience it every single day that you wake up. Blatant discrimination. And I would love to not have to have these conversations and to not have to be the only one that's really, well, I'm not the only one, but one of the very few that are willing to have these open, honest conversations. I was recently struck by the fact that Mickey shared a comment from a so-called fan about how she didn't belong in country music, and that this guy was tired of her woke bullshit. His words, certainly not mine. And I was taken aback by his ignorance regarding the real history of country music and pretty much all music in general. Listen as Yola talks about the significance of her taking up the role of Sister Rosetta Tharp in an upcoming film directed by Boz Lerman, who directed films such as Moulin Rouge, The Great Gatsby, and the Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes remake of Romeo and Juliet. Yola tells us about some significant contributions to music made by Black people throughout history. Okay, I've been cast as Sister Rosetta Tharp in the Elvis movie directed by Baz Luhrmann. Bless him and his angel face. He is the best. He's the sweetest. He's a wonderful director. I've been cast as Sister Rosetta Tharp in the Elvis movie. The godmother of rock and roll. Yes, and more explicitly, the inventor of rock and roll. Let's not, like, just beat around (laughs) the bush here. So, playing guitar in a distorted way and shredding in the way we now associate with rock and roll, the aesthetics of rock and roll, directly from this woman, okay? Everyone goes to her night on Beale Street and is influenced by her. They've been listening to her on the radio. Elvis ran home from school to listen to this woman. And that then gave birth to everything he knew about being an artist. And so she discovered Little Richard. You think about it, you go, a black man in segregationist America wearing a face full of makeup and drag, shredding and screaming and ripping his shirt open. Do you think a buttoned up white guy from the 50s goes, hmm, that guy? No. Once he's already doing great and being considered a genius, sure. But before that, in the development stage, hell no. (laughs) That sister, all the way home. And she was a queer woman. And so, like, 
there's also that angle of like being open to more effeminate portrayals of black men. And that is something that's really important to the culture, you know? And we see that in Prince. We see that play forward in Prince and how important he was to the culture. And so it's like, oh, we can't be eroding the story of Black women in the music that we now depend on. And we can't pretend like it's new. And I think that's kind of where we got to. It's so essential that people don't lose that connection or don't obliterate the memory of that connection. And that's what I think what we've got to catch up with in Americana is the recognizing of the contributions of people of color in, in the community in a real way. But all of this discontent is not going unnoticed, and it is certainly yielding some heightened awareness of problems we need to care about and address within our industry, within our world. Let's take a look at a few examples of some inspiring movements and projects that have been born from the desire to inspire change. Amanda Shires on her idea to form all-female supergroup, The High Women. I had the idea, though, for The High Women after Mercy was born when I was riding in my van and listening to the radio because my CD player and my aux cord broke, but I was listening and I just wasn't hearing any women's voices or any really that I identified with on a long drive. And I started taking notes, you know, and then calling radio stations. And then on one of those long stretches, I thought to myself, I'm going to start a band called The High Women. In 2016, I had that idea. And then... I let it sit for a minute because it's, it's one of those ideas where it was, I need to get my concept together and like the subject matter and everything kind of where I can talk about it in a way that kind of made sense or was linear because I'm not a linear speaker or like a communicator. So uh, I, I was just formulating and thinking and writing things down. And I finally told Dave Cobb about it and he loved the idea. He has a daughter too. And then during 2017 and beyond, here we are trying to continue as long as the conversation needs to be had, which it still does. Noelle Skaggs, co-front person of Fits in the Tantrums on the formation of her initiative, Diversify the Stage, which has sourced countless names of Black, Indigenous, people of color eligible for work within the touring industry, thus promoting the hiring of a more diverse workforce. I started working on Diversify the Stage, I mean, shortly. It was bubbling up prior to George Floyd. It really hit me on Blackout Tuesday, because obviously, you know, all the protests were happening. It was a lot of social media campaigning, a lot of companies promising a lot of money towards the protection of Black lives, social justice causes, like all of the things under the sun. And I felt that following a lot of the music industry oriented posts and all of these things that there was a very large void of conversation as it related to the concerts industry. And me recognizing that even within my own team and my years of experience and just being in this business, that there weren't a lot of people of color that I was exposed to outside of my local community in LA. Because when I was coming up in music, it was like hip hop, soul, you know, so obviously a very diverse group of artists that I would work with on a regular basis coming up out here. 
the UK even. But on the backside of the business, it wasn't. It was very male-dominated. It was very one demographic of ethnicity that was involved in any of the touring, the business operation side of it. So I've just never really had a lot of people in leadership that reflected me at all. Cross paths, maybe, but not on tour. So I really wanted to kind of open up dialogue about that. One, am I the only artist seeing this? Is it only because I'm an alternative? Like, what's the shake here? Amanda Shires. The activism part, you notice things are wrong and you don't know what to do or how to fix things. It's just stuff people don't really talk about. At risk of losing what little you already had, I think, or becoming somebody that they just pushed to the sidelines and wouldn't let play in the game. Brittany Spencer. If there was ever a time to care about something in our lifetime, it's now. This is the time to care about something. I'm not saying everybody needs to, you know, get super politically involved or charged, but you do need to be aware. I mean, I don't know. I just, if you don't care about something now, if you don't stand for something now, then I don't know that people ever really will. Valerie June, whose latest release was called The Moon and Stars, Prescriptions for Dreamers. We live in this time where George Floyd was murdered, Mm. where we lost John Lewis, where the world is going upside down with people inciting hate and negativity between each other. And Dr. King had this dream. It was real simple that we would all kind of live as one and that we would get along and that one day we would all just be united. And we call ourselves the United States. And I was just looking at not only at our country, but the globe and the way we treat Mother Earth. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Dreamers are the only thing that's going to save this shit. Dreamers, they're the only ones. And how do we keep dreamers fed and alive? How have I kept myself going? It took me listening to Sam Cooke saying change is going to come to keep me going. It took me going to see Jean-Michel Basquiat's paintings or reading The Alchemist, which Mm -hmm. is a boy going on a journey's book, to keep believing in my dream because I never thought that I was going to make it. And I'm still trying to make it. And it's just like, how do we keep going? And I think about my personal dream and how it's taken me fucking 20 years to be here in this body and be in this moment and just be in myself and excited about where I'm at and all of that. Just those lessons. And I think about us as humanity and how we still are pushing to see Dr. King's dream true. And dreaming is a serious thing. It sounds soft. It sounds like clouds and sleep and fluffy sheep counting but it really is serious you have to have a prescription to keep your heart healed if you're going to be a dreamer because it's real it's fierce <laughs> you got to be ready to keep your heart minted and together <laughs> absolutely it's not for the faint of heart i mean just having any kind of dream bring it to fruition is an act of faith right There's no denying the obstacles that exist. Some are personal and some are societal. But I feel pretty good about the work that's being done by these women, don't you? And I don't want to forget to talk about the love story that is there. Those sweet spots that we all find ourselves in when creativity is flowing, 
and the magic is happening. After all, why would we put up with all of the struggle if we didn't experience those moments of brilliance that make the pursuit worth it? Kelly McCartney, host of Record Bin Radio on Apple Music. I walk away from almost every interview with a crush on whoever I interview, <laughs> you know, until the next one, you know, right? Exactly. that's how it goes. Because, yeah, it's like when you're thoughtful and trying to, like you said, kind of get to the vulnerable parts of somebody, it creates that emotional intimacy in that moment. And no, it doesn't last, obviously, but it is a very special experience. And for me, you know, I would... <laughs> Kev Mo likes to correct me because I once said that he has the greatest job and I have the second greatest job. He's like, no, no, you have the greatest job in the world for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And it is. It's perfect. Valerie June. The real fine part for me is not the fame part. It's not the numbers and the likes. The real fine part is just writing the songs. And that's very personal. Rebecca Lovell of Larkin Poe. It's not a glamorous way to make a living by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. You really got to be in it to win it because you love the lifestyle. So I think that we definitely have realized that it's the only thing that we want to do with our lives outside of, you know, the humans and maybe have children at some point. But making music and releasing records and touring and playing gigs and upgrading the show, like, it's pretty exciting. Shannon McNally on her joy of making music and the recording process. You know, I have such a spiritual existence with musicians and records and songs and stuff. I still get equally excited about players. The most fun thing to me about making a record is who you can get in the room, you know, who you can hang out with and who you can share energy and swap stories with because it all rubs off on you and you can't wash it off. Nancy Wilson of Heart talks about how she enjoys pushing herself to embrace new challenges within her music. That's one of my favorite ways of singing is the harmony parts. You know, like right now I'm working on a solo record, my first ever studio solo album. So I'm doing all the lead singing and a lot of harmony singing with some of the guys. But I don't claim to be an A-level singer or a prima ballerina of singers like my sister, but I'm really getting a lot of joy out of it because even something she told me once about singing was so great she said um don't don't fixate on the pitch or don't fixate on if it's perfect just tell the story and I was like wow you mean I I don't have to feel like a little pipsqueak as a singer next to you you know (laughs) but yeah it's really gratifying Chrissy Metz of This Is Us on her writing process for her upcoming debut album. I always like to write from a place that I'm feeling. The only way that I know that I could continue to sing the song or to be interested in it is if it came from like a real place Mm -hmm. or if I had some sort of attachment to it or if it's a fascinating story or, or whatnot. But I just try to always write from a real place. Hannah Hooper of Group Love on her love of collaboration with her bandmates. We are best friends or something like I wanted like break down some juice but the truth is we all count on each other and we all are really honest with each other so everyone knows that when you squash the ego that's when the magic happens like what is someone going to bring to the table what like when sometimes I think a song is done and then Dan will just go in and like rip a new bass line because he doesn't like his because he's such a perfectionist and then all of a sudden I'm like oh we're hearing a new melody like It only happens with 
this incredible dynamic and like just trusting each other. Nicole Atkins on her extensive collaborations with members of Spoon and even Elvis Costello, to name a few. That's what I'm most grateful for in like my music life is all these different musicians and where they come from and what they do and where their processes are. Just being able to like learn from them all and be friends with them. There's never been really anybody that's a musician that I've worked with that we haven't still kept in touch in some form. Amanda Shires revels in the limitless possibilities of songwriting. I say it like this sometimes in my brain. I think when you're making a song, you have a lot more colors in your color box than you do when you're writing a poem. You've got words and you got the page on a poem. And with the song, you can do a whole lot with just the bed and the music and juxtaposing that or not, or capturing an emotion or not. There's just so many little twists and turns you can do with the song, not only visual, but audio. And I mean, She's So Heavy has like seven words. Mm. I want you, I want you so bad. She's so heavy. Yeah, that's eight words. And one of those moments when we decide to stay in love with music, even if we feel lost or discouraged, we choose to stay the course, but set new terms and boundaries going forward. Nikki Bloom talks about finding her way after some big transitions in her career and in her personal life. The thing about it for me and what I distilled after a lot of thinking and confusion and pain and heartache, I was like, okay, to stay in what I'm in, to stay in this known world feels scarier than trying something new. You know, growing pains don't just happen when you're, when you're a kid, they happen your whole life. And even though, you know, when you're a kid, it's physical, your bones are physically growing. But when you're an adult, your mind is growing and your person is growing and it hurts, you know, it just does. Jade Bird on figuring out what her writing process looks like and who she wants it to involve. I think initially it was a mixture between wanting to be seen as a writer and feeling like if I had collaborated with people who didn't really represent my experience, especially as a young woman, I always found it a bit dissonant going in with an older white guy and trying to explain my experience. I just found that dissonant. I found it very hard. I, I found it quite musically violating. I, I didn't like it, to be honest with you. Maybe that's because I didn't find the right guy. But I also was kind of facing this point that I wanted to be seen as like this standalone songwriter which I felt like I was, which I needed to also do. Like, I needed to get better on my own. A big topic we seem to touch on in every episode is that elusive, hard-to-define idea of work-life balance. I'm so grateful for the candor my guests showed when it came to talking about juggling their families and motherhood, health problems, loss of loved ones, or nursing heartbreaks after a failed marriage or relationship. And how do they deal with the expectation to constantly perform and put on a happy face when they're not? Amethyst Kia discusses the art of being human 
and of being a touring musician? For me, going forward, my whole thing is like, how do I incorporate a work-life balance with also being a touring musician? I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but we're going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll see. But I, I really do want to try to be more mindful of how I'm feeling and realizing if I'm taking on too much and obviously working with a wonderful team of people who I've said all of this stuff to and, you know, everybody is very like supportive and understanding of where I'm coming from. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited to get back out on the road. It's going to be cool. Hannah Hooper of Group Love talks about how becoming a mother affected her creative process. There was this huge fear of just not being able to handle all of it. And I definitely like used time differently before I was a mom. And I just came to realize as we were writing, I was like, oh, I just have more experiences to pull on now and more feelings. And there's something actually about not having as much time that the truth comes out faster. Because if I hit a chord, tears might start falling out or I might start screaming or whatever it is, that honesty comes out faster now. So I don't have the time to kind of like wallow in it. It's just like, you're right. It Kathy Valentine, who wrote an incredible and aptly titled memoir, All I Ever Wanted, talks about how she thought at 22 years old that adopting the rock and roll lifestyle meant that she was abandoning the prospect of a husband, family, and a normal job. I felt like, okay, this is the life. I wanted that. I wanted this kind of, to me, this high roll and rock and roll life with my best friends, having a good time, not the regular life of getting a job and getting a husband and becoming mm -hmm. a mom. Like I ended up doing all those things, but at 22, I didn't want anything like that. I wanted exactly what I had and I wanted to keep it very badly once I got it. Amanda Shires on co-parenting with Jason Isbell. No amount of great parenting makes up for an unhappy mother. So we just, operate on the thing where we put our own life air masks on first and then we're good for the family you know kind of thing and it works really well for us this way jennifer hartswick speaking to all of us out here regardless of your profession or all the demands of your life this one applies to all of us yeah we're performers but we're human beings first you know and i think sometimes we forget that and and we forego our really basic human needs in order to do what we do for a living and, you know, just sort of have to put on the brakes and say, okay, as a person, who do I want to be? I know what I want to be career-wise, but as a person, what am I not doing? How can I be a better person, you know? And to know that everybody's sort of in the same boat, everybody's home. We're calling each other to check on each other like never before. I don't know, it means a lot to know that people are thinking about you and checking in and that feels good too as a person, you know? I move you is it thrilling do I groove you are you willing it does feel good and all these episodes are my way of checking in with you listening and with these amazing guests kind enough to join me on salute the songbird if you're a regular Salute the Songbird listener, you may have noticed that I like to send you off with some feel-good vibes at the end of each episode, and I pretty much ask the same question. What do you consider to be some of the advantages of being a woman in this industry? What do you hope for women to continue to excel at in this industry? Well, I'm going to leave you on several high notes this time, 
because we got so many good answers over the last two seasons. Unbelievably so, I found that everyone had a slightly different take. Larkin Poe. I love this. I'm just sitting here reflecting on how many interviews we have been party to over the years. And that's the first time anybody's asked that question like that. Hats off to you, dude. I'm all about that. Cheers. Um, you know what I what I feel is like the superpower personally? I love the ability to multitask. I think that women are like the kings of the multitask. You know what I mean? And I think that that has been a great gift to us in our endeavors of writing and recording and producing and labeling and whatnot, you know, trying to wear all the hats at the one time. And I think that's a great skill of being... I see our mother exhibit that like mom can do 18 bajillion things at once and the bread is not burned. No, it is perfectly golden brown. <laughs> the babies are clean. And, you know, over the years, Nicole Atkins, a lot of advantages. Our clothes are way better. I don't know. I feel like women are just more open in general. So there's a lot more people that we can work with because mm -hmm. we're less afraid to, you know, talk to people. Go out there and make friends, you know? Leslie Fram. I do think that women are supporting each other. We see it all the time on social media where a win for one is a win for all. I see you do it all the time on socials. I see all the women that we have all supported from Marin to Carly to Kelsey, that everyone is doing that. And to me, that is so healthy because remember at the very beginning, it was there's one slot and you felt like you were really competing with all these other women. And so now it's more of like, let's cheer everyone on and, you know, win for a, one is a win for all. And so if anything, I think we've accomplished that. Jade Bird. Being underestimated, I think is always an advantage. I think in my career, being young and being a woman, I always felt like I could just smash through whatever people thought I was going to do. Be that live in a blues bar at 16, be that in a pub at 14. Like I was just like, no, you know what? I'm going to smash this. And you're going to watch your faces when I do. Lucius. Well, I think we've been super lucky to have worked with and continue to work with all of these women that are so welcoming and into collaboration. Like we've collaborated with so many people and like Brandy, for instance, is a huge supporter of all women and just lifting people, lifting other women up. And we are like that. And we've met pretty much everyone we've met in the industry has been like that too. So I feel very lucky to be in that because I think a lot of times people perceive women in entertainment as very competitive. And we haven't really come across that ourselves. And we're also not that way with one another. Lake Street Dive. I mean, I suppose the perspective, you know, it's just the lyrics to the songs, you know, that's that's legitimate. That is an important thing to have. Even a lot of my favorite singers and my favorite songs that are great songs. And there's nothing wrong, obviously, with a guy writing a song, but a lot of those songs were written by men, too. So, you know, I think that's probably the, the biggest benefit. And it's great to see other women doing it and I think that there's so much more like space for like different types of women you know different types of voices songwriters vibes these days than there ever used to be and that's nice it's nice to see us all sort of making space for each other because of course 
whenever there's any type of oppression, it limits the space. But I don't really see that. I feel like there's a great like opening right now. And Brittany Spencer. I think we're very resourceful. I think sometimes people think that women innately just know how to do certain things. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm happy to be wrong. But I really do think that in order for us to survive, and in many regards, we've actually had to just be this way. We've had to know how to multitask. We've had to know how to consider someone else's life experience. We've had to be more empathetic at times. We've had to consider perspectives other than our own just to survive. And I think that I'm not saying we're better for the struggle, but we're better for the lessons that we've learned and the skill set that we've acquired because we were just trying to make it. A lot of times I'm just trying to be resourceful. I'm not trying to be the smartest or most creative person in the world. I'm actually just trying to make my own lane because, damn it, no one's going to give me one or let me be in theirs. And so for me, being a woman is recognizing the need whether it's my own or someone else's. Because that's kind of how we survive. Well, what would you like to see women continue to excel at within the industry? This has been such a delight to put this together for you. It was so fun to take a stroll down memory lane. I can't wait to share season three with you. So that's a wrap. It was quite a fun challenge to pick which moments to revisit from these 39 episodes, but guess what? They're all available for you to review in their entirety on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may get your podcasts. So go ahead and just listen through all of them again. Thank you so, so much for supporting this podcast, for supporting me and all the women who've been kind enough to join me on Salute the Songbird. I'll catch you all very soon in season three. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Osiris.